Welcome to New Life Church for our special Good Friday service. My name is Kelvin. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life. With me is Anna, our small groups and young adults pastor. It's a privilege to host you today. Wherever you're joining us from, we're so blessed to have you with us. As we join together today, we'd love to encourage you to interact with the chat. Take a moment to let us know who you are and where you're joining us from. And as you get acquainted with one another in the chat, I'd love to let you know what to expect as we worship together today. During the service, lyrics will broadcast at the bottom of your screen, so you can stand up, stay seated, move about the room that you're in, and sing with us as we worship. We would also love to hear your thoughts in the chat as you respond to what God is prompting in us during any of our service elements. New Life Church is you. It's the people. So let's encourage one another. You'll also notice a prayer button on your screen. We have pastors who would love to pray with you and for you at any time during the service. Simply click the button and you'll be directed to a private and confidential individual prayer room with one of our team. Good Friday is a significant and important date in the Christian calendar. Today we celebrate and recognize the cross. On Good Friday, Christ paid the ultimate price for us in His submission to the cross. It's on Good Friday that we anticipate Sunday is coming. With the discovery of an empty tomb, we celebrate Christ's victory over sin and death. We've just come out of a series on Genesis where we've explored many a journey through the wilderness. Easter for us is a way out of the wilderness and a return to the garden, where a way was made for us to come back into communion with God. We're going to start worship today with a song called All Hail King Jesus. It tells of this story. Will you join us as we worship together? There was a moment when the lights went out When death claimed his victory The king of love had given up his life The darkest day in history There are no cross they made for sinners For every curse his blood atoned One final breath and it was finished but not the end we could have known For the earth began to shake And the veil was torn With sacrifices made As the heavens Lost, he crossed eternity 
Salve 
I love worshipping and declaring the truth of Jesus Christ and the gospel. And we find ourselves in the midst of this recent lockdown in Southeast Queensland due to COVID again. But I love the fact that the gospel is never restrained by COVID. It's never restrained by persecution. There are people across the world who cannot gather today or this weekend because of persecution. But the gospel is still spreading. It is like spreading like wildfire. So we just sit and we understand that nothing can stop the gospel going forth. Whether we gather physically or whether we gather online, we believe as a church that the Holy Spirit moves with power. My name's Scott. I'm the lead pastor at New Life Gather, And we are in this season of Easter. And the story of Easter didn't begin on a hill in Calvary where Jesus was crucified, but in the garden at the beginning of time. We just finished a six-week series on Genesis, the first book of the Bible. And what we found was the Bible starts in a garden, in the Garden of Eden. And in this garden, there was perfect relationship between Adam and Eve, between humanity and creation, and most importantly, between humanity and God. God would walk in the cool of the afternoon, in the evening with Adam and Eve. That's how close and that's how perfect this relationship was. And then something happened. Something changed. Something destroyed this perfect garden, this perfect relationship between humanity, creation, and God. That something was sin. And we fast forward thousands of years and we find Jesus now in a garden on the night he was betrayed and he was about to be crucified and the full weight of sin is starting to bear down on Jesus and he kneels down and he cries out to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26, 39, says going a little further Jesus fell with his face to the ground and prayed my father if it is possible may this cup be taken from me yet not as I will but as you will would you please join me in prayer before we get into God's word today heavenly father we thank you so much we thank you so much for Easter we thank you so much that you are willing to die for us on the cross that we will be forgiven of our sins Lord, it seems weird that we come and celebrate that today, but it shows a demonstration of your great love and your great mercy. So God, would you help me preach your message today in truth and in love? May they not look to me, but only to you, the one who brings life and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I have to confess, it's Friday. Jesus died for our sins and, and I committed a sin many, many, many years ago. I transgressed one of God's Ten Commandments and that was, thou shalt not murder. Now there's a difference between murder and self-defense. Murder is when you sit down and you prepare and you plan the act and that's what I did. I sat down and I planned how I would, I would carry out this crime. And then on my next day off, I went into my backyard and I proceeded to carry out that plan. I murdered and killed every single tree in the backyard. I pulled out every single plant and I got so caught up in the excitement of it, I went out the front and I did exactly the same thing. I pulled out every single tree and every single plant. Why? Because I hate gardening. I just hated gardening so much. And I remember sitting 
in my house one day looking out at my garden and it wasn't healthy. It was horrible. There was horrible weeds growing up everywhere. It looked terrible. And I remember sitting there going, man, I hate gardening. If only I didn't have a garden. And then this idea came. What if I pulled out the entire thing? I would never have to garden again. I was so excited. I thought I was the smartest man on the face of the earth. So I did it and my life has been bliss ever since. And there might be people watching that love gardening and you're shocked, you're disgusted in what I've done. But I just hate gardening. You give me a plant and I will kill it. For some reason, it will just die. But how do you tell if a garden's healthy? Clearly, this is not my garden because it is healthy. We can tell by looking at it, right? You can tell if the garden is healthy by looking at it and seeing what it produces. I might not like gardening, but I can tell when a tree is healthy or a garden is healthy. Take an orange tree, for example. If you see an orange on an orange tree and it's all rotten, what would that tell me about the tree? It would tell me that the tree is unhealthy. And Jesus in Matthew 7, he talks about very, something very similar. He says, you will know a tree by its fruit. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. What's Jesus talking about here? He's talking about that you can tell if someone is a follower of Jesus by the fruit that's produced in their life. And I love the way that Jesus contrasts a good tree and what that produces and a bad tree and what that produces. And the question is, which tree are we a branch of? Are we part of the worldly tree that's producing its fruit? Or are we connected to the tree of life? Are we connected to Jesus? Because what Jesus is telling us here is that they, they produce two totally different things. You see, a bad tree can only produce bad fruit and a good tree will produce good fruit. So which tree are you connected to? How do we know what a tree is good? It's by the fruit that it produces. So does sin produce good or bad fruit? If the state of our world was a tree, what would it look like? Would it look like something like this? Would it look like a, a lush tree full of flowers and amazing fruit that's delicious? Or would it more like, look more like this? Dying, decaying, rotten fruit, dry and desolate. You know, when we think of the world we live in, we see so much death and destruction, pain and suffering. And it seems that no matter how much we try and fix it, we just keep descending into sin and chaos. No matter how much we dress it up with consumerisms and comforts like a nice house, a nice car, a nice new outfit, the new latest tech, you only have to scratch the surface just slightly to realize that things are not what they seem. The fruit of the world is producing is depression and anxiety and fear and loneliness and envy and malice and ungratefulness and unforgiveness and bitterness of the heart. And the more we indulge in this worldly rotten fruit, the sicker we get, not only physically, but emotionally and spiritually. So what does the world do to solve this problem? Well, we just look to material things, right, to make us happy. We look to status or fame or accomplishment to find our worth and value. We think we just need to make our fruit look better, the stuff on the outside, as if the fruit itself was the root of the problem. But when we look at history, we realize that we've never been able to fix the problem of sin 
and its effects on humanity and the entire world merely by trying to fix the fruit. Simply look into the history books and it's a constant repetition of wars and destruction, of pain and suffering, constant fight between evil against good and bad. And not only that, we also see the constant decline in creation where humanity is reaping the earth and its natural resources for the advancement of humans without taking into account the long-term effects on the environment. And when we read the entire Bible, we see this constant battle with this sinful nature that directs us and keeps us in this cycle of sin. We're in this cycle decade after decade, century after century, millennium after millennium. Ecclesiastes says in 1.9, it says, What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. I love this, this verse. The Bible testifies that this is the cycle of sin, right? That we clearly see in the history books that we have no way of defeating sin. We don't have no way of defeating sin in ourselves or even in the world. Sin is like weeds in the garden that just grow up. No matter what you do, they just keep coming. You rip one out and another one grows, right? It grows somewhere else. And we think if we rid ourselves of evil people or situations, we'll be good. But then we turn on the TV to find out there's a long line of others willing to take their place. And the reality of our sinful nature hits home. And we, if we're honest with ourselves, we realize that this sinful nature is in us too. And no matter what we do, we can't seem to hide it under health, wealth and prosperity because sin affects us on a deeper level. So how do you fix a tree producing rotten fruit? Well, you don't start with the fruit you don't try and dress the piece of fruit up, you start with the tree, because that's what's producing the fruit. It's the same with humanity. What do we do if all our lives are producing is brokenness and hurt? You don't start with the actions, you start with the heart. And deep down in the human heart, we know that there is something wrong with us. We know we don't live the way our conscience is telling us how to live. That's because we are made in the image of God. We are created to love one another, but sin destroys the image of God in us and we turn inward and sin then directs our actions. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. So what's the answer? What's the answer to this cycle of sin that we find ourselves in? What does the scene in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus have to offer us? Well, what we see in the Garden of Gethsemane is that Jesus is preparing to take upon himself the problem of sin. This problem of sin that started way back in the Garden of Eden has plagued humanity ever since. Jesus is now face to face with the reality and the weight of sin. And Jesus knows that the judgment for sin is total separation from God and death. And the weight of the sin of the entire world is now being placed on him and it's becoming unbearable to him. In verse 37 it says, He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. You know, we read this passage and we can just read it and not understand the depths of what Jesus is experiencing experiencing right here 
Jesus' soul, the soul of the Son of God, the soul of the most powerful person to ever walk the face of the earth, God himself, the soul of God himself is becoming overwhelmed, overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Do we know the depths and the weight of our sin? Do we know the effects that our sin has on our soul? Do we know that our sin separates us from a holy and righteous God? You see, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Sin brings death to our soul. It brings death to the world. It brings death to our relationships. It brings death into everything and every situation in our lives. And in this moment, Jesus is feeling the full weight of your sin and my sin. Jesus now experienced how much sin has affected humanity's relationship with God and it's crushing his heart and his soul. And Jesus cries out to the Father in verse 39, going a little farther, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, my Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. What is Jesus asking here? Jesus is asking the Father to take away the weight and the penalty of sin. He's asking the Father to not have to go to the cross. And it's interesting because Jesus asked the Father if it is possible. Of course it's possible. There's a sense in which all things are possible with God, right? Like nothing is impossible for God. But this is true only in a sense because there are things that are morally impossible for God. It's impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for God to sin because he is perfect and holy and righteous. And because God is holy, it is not morally possible for God to let sin go unpunished. Someone had to take the punishment for sin. There's only one way to redeem lost humanity, and that was the perfect, wrath-satisfying sacrifice that Jesus was preparing himself to be in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus asked, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, was God not listening to him? Did God not grant Jesus' request? No, because God the Father would never deny the Son any request because Jesus always prayed in line with the Father's will. And since Jesus drank the cup of judgment on the cross, we know it's not possible for salvation to come any other way. Salvation by Jesus' death on the cross is the only possible way. There's no other way to be made right before God. If there was any other way, Jesus would not have had to have had to go to the cross. And after praying this amazing prayer, in verse 40, he comes back. It says, Then Jesus returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray that you do not you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You see, Jesus returns to his disciples and they're asleep. They don't understand the gravity of what is taking place. They don't understand the depths of their sin. They don't understand that Jesus is suffering in this moment because of their sin. They're blind to it. They are asleep spiritually to their sin and the temptation of sin. We're the same. We don't understand the gravity of our sin. We don't realize that sin has dominated our thoughts and actions and that sin separates us from a holy God. You know, there's a whole world out there asleep to their sin, a whole world that does not recognize they are sinners 
in need of a saviour. And we think our lives are inherently good and sin has no effect on our lives, our souls or our eternal destination. But the truth is, sin does affect our souls. Sin does affect our eternal destination. And humanity is by and large asleep to sin and the judgment of sin. So Jesus goes a second time and prayed, My Father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. In this moment, Jesus makes the decision to take and drink the cup of the wrath of God, to take the punishment of sin upon himself. You see, this is in stark contrast to what happened to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were living in this perfect creation, this perfect garden, and when they were put to the test, they disobeyed God. Even though everything was perfect, they still didn't trust God. And Adam essentially said to God, not your will, God, but mine be done. And thus sin enters into the garden. But we see Jesus, he's in this imperfect garden, a world dominated by sin. And this sin is placed on Jesus, the only one to live a sinless life, the only one who had a perfect relationship with God. And in this moment, Jesus is experiencing physically, emotionally and spiritually the effects of sin and how this has affected his relationship with the Father. But instead of not trusting God in this moment, Jesus takes on the sin of the world, looks towards the cross and says, not my will, but your will be done. In full trust and obedience to God the Father. Romans 5.19 says, For by one man's, Adam's, disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man, Jesus' obedience, many will be made righteous. You see, sin and death enter the world through Adam, but forgiveness of sin in eternal life comes through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the good news of the gospel, that each and every one of us are sinners. There is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but God said, I'm not going to leave them there. I'm not going to cut them off. I'm going to come in the form of Jesus Christ and I'm going to become fully man and fully God and I'm going to take the weight of the sin on the world and when I am nailed to the cross, I'm going to defeat sin and death forever. And when Jesus is nailed there, he says, it is finished. The curse and the weight of sin has been dealt with by Jesus and he takes sin to the grave and when he rose again three days later in victory over sin and death for all that believe. You see, Romans 23, it starts with the problem, the wages of sin is death, but it finishes with the solution. And it's beautiful. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. But the gift of God is given to us through Jesus because Jesus was willing to take on the punishment of sin for you and me. He was willing to drink the cup of the wrath of God to take the punishment of sin upon himself because Jesus was willing to be obedient to the Father even to the point of death. And because he was willing, we received the free gift of forgiveness of sin because Jesus paid the penalty of sin and that was our death penalty. You see, Jesus steps into our situation. He steps into our problem of sin that we couldn't fix. And he steps in to this plague of sin that in humanity that began right back in the garden, our sin that we can't defeat. Jesus defeats the problem of sin on the cross for all of humanity for all of time. And forgiveness of sins becomes this free gift to all that repent and believe. 
Why? Why did Jesus be willing to suffer the weight of sin? Why was Jesus willing to be crushed physically and spiritually? Why was Jesus willing to be nailed to a cross and endure a painful death? Love. Love for you. Love for me. You know, we can't earn God's love. We can't earn God's forgiveness. You can only receive it as a free gift. John 3.16 said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved Katie. For God so loved Paul. For God so loved Jamie. For God so loved Scott. That he was willing to give us his son, that we may receive forgiveness of sin and eternal life through faith. The question is, today, have you received the free gift of salvation and forgiveness of sins through Jesus' death on the cross for you? Are you connected to the tree of this world or to Jesus, the tree of life? You see, in the Garden of Eden, sin was the problem that led to death. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is the answer to life and life eternal. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are willing to suffer, that you are willing to take on the sin of the entire world, that Jesus, you are willing to go through that pain and that suffering for my sin. God, when I look to the cross, I see love. I see grace. I see unmerited favor. I see you dying out of pure love for me and the entire world. Lord, today on this day, we give you thanks for your undying love towards humanity and your undying love towards me. And you might be there watching today and you've never received that free gift of salvation. God is offering that to you. God is saying, I have dealt with the problem of sin. My desire is to live with you for eternity, to love you, to make you a son and a daughter that I can care for you. And so if that's you, if you recognize, yes, I am a sinner and there's nothing that I can do about that, you can just simply pray this prayer with me. Say, Father, forgive me of my sin. Lord, I believe that Jesus died for me, that he rose again in victory over sin and death. And I ask for the gift of your Holy Spirit, that I would be given eternal life and life in the full. Lord Jesus, come into my life and I thank you, God, for what you've done for me in the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Garden. Lead me back to the moment I heard.
I love that song. It starts with this beautiful line, take me back to the garden. And we have to ask, why would we sing that? When Scott has just so beautifully unpacked the garden of Gethsemane was not a moment of joy, but of pain for Christ. It's because we acknowledge that what actually Christ is doing is that garden is he's remembering the first garden, the garden that was beautiful, the garden of Eden. The Bible tells us that he underwent the suffering and the pain for the joy that was set before him, that one day we would be restored back to what God originally created us for, not just the garden of our world, but the garden of our souls. And there's this beautiful moment in the prayer in the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus says, Lord, take this cup from me. And it's such a beautiful understanding what Jesus is about to do, that to drink the very cup of God's wrath. But then the night that Jesus was betrayed, he asked us to remember this moment. And he did that by instituting what we call the Lord's Supper, a moment of communion, a moment where we share in community but we gather together to be remembered, reattached, regrafted back into the vine, into the branch, into the body of Christ. And what Scott has so beautifully illustrated is that on the cross of Jesus Christ, his body was broken so yours didn't have to be, his blood was shed so ours didn't have to be, that by his death and what we will one soon celebrate on Easter Sunday, his resurrection, we now have life and life to the full. Friends, that's what's on offer for you today. And we would ask, would you join us around this table? Where on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And he said, whenever you gather around a table and, and you break bread, do it in remembrance of me. And I always love to think, what must it have been like for Jesus to break that bread with the disciples, knowing that his body was about to be broken? But it was for the joy of knowing one day you would eat of that bread that you might know the wholeness he has on offer for you. He takes the cup and he says, whenever you drink of this cup, do so in remembrance of me. Remembrance that his blood was shed. The Bible tells us that it's by his stripes, by the shedding of his blood that we are healed. There is power in the blood of Jesus. There is power in that blood for you today to be washed clean, to be made whole. So as we eat of this bread and we drink of this cup, I don't know what elements you will be joining us with in your home or wherever you're gathering today, but do so in a way where we don't do it lightly or flippantly, but with the full weight, but also the full joy of what this moment means for us. So what I want to do now, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 11, I want to pause and I want to remember that we don't come to the table and take a communion and take this cup lightly we do it in repentance and repentance is a joyful thing because we turn away from that which sucks us from life and we turn back towards Christ but we must repent before we remember together so you join with me as we pray gracious God I thank you for a Friday that we call good not because on the day it felt good but because in light of what we know happened on that cross we get to declare that your actions your sacrifice was good that we might be made worthy that we might be called sons and daughters of god so wherever we gather right now in this moment we pause and i ask god reveal to us the things in our life we need to turn away from that we will turn back to you
Lord, I thank you for the truth of Ephesians chapter 2, where it says, But God, who was rich in mercy, and because of his grace, God, because you came down, our worst day is not our last day. And so I pray we remember your sacrifice and stand firm in the promise that you have for us. As we take of this bread and drink of this cup today, we celebrate why Friday was called good. Thank you for paying the price for our sin, that we might be known as sons and daughters again. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you prepare, and as a family, wherever you are, let's eat and drink together now. So as you have taken of the bread and drinking of the cup today, I pray that this taste remains with you throughout the weekend. The reminder of Christ's sacrifice, but also the life he has on offer for you today. And you know, as we finish, I hope we'll see you again on Easter Sunday, right here online at church.nu slash live. I pray that you would go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that your weekend would be changed, your life would be changed. Indeed, your eternity would be changed, and this world would be blessed because you know the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We finish today with the same way that we celebrated Easter last year, by the way we've actually been celebrating the close of our service across the last couple of weeks by seeing the doxology. And we uh, have recorded actually in lockdown last year, this beautiful choir singing the truth of these words. Would you join with us as we finish our service singing the doxology together? Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Praise God from Blessings flow, praise Him all creatures here below, praise Him Praise Father, Son, and
Wow, what a powerful day it's been today. Yes, I love what Scott said, that Jesus steps into our situation, into our problem of sin and defeats it. This is the Easter message, the message of the gospel and why we're so excited that Easter Sunday is coming. And if you'd like to know more about Jesus and the Christian faith, we'd love to invite you to join us for Alpha starting April 20th at all New Life churches. Alpha is the perfect place to explore questions about life, faith and meaning. You can register and find out more by heading to church.nu forward slash alpha. Here at New Life, we are so thankful for your continued generosity. If you would like to give, you can go to church.nu forward slash giving or the link will be in the chat. Well, we've reached the end of our Good Friday celebration. It's been so good to spend this time with you. We'd love to invite you to join us once again as we celebrate Easter Sunday. We'll be gathering back here at church.nu forward slash live at 9.30. Have a fantastic Easter weekend and we can't wait to see you on Sunday.